This dynamic message is brought to you by Redemption in Jesus with Marco Rava. So praise God, I trust that you are ready. So here is the title of our message today and of our series. Our series is titled The Freeing Truth About, and today we are going to look at the freeing truth about giving our lives to Jesus. Now I know immediately, (laughs) and of course because there is such a big statement that is so well known in Christendom, um, most people don't like me getting into that one. But I believe that as you see it, you'll see it's not because I'm trying to be controversial. It's not because I'm trying to prove anything to anyone. I want to share with you the truth of the gospel. And I'm not saying I've arrived, but I've left off. I've taken off, praise God. But <clears throat> I want to. the reason why I want to share these truths with you is because of how they affect our faith, our believing, and our relationship with God and our understanding of gospel truth. I mean, I think about just, you know, <laughs> in my own life, when, I've, when I notice, when I see these truths, it just takes me to a different place in my relationship with God and in my believing and my understanding of the gospel. And so that's the motive. That's the reason. So I believe that you will be blessed. Now, you may be thinking already or saying, well, what's wrong with giving our lives to Jesus? I know if I were to say and ask you right now, If you gave your life to Jesus, raise your hand. Most places, most gatherings of Christians or believers will raise their hands and say, Yes, I've given my life to Jesus. In actual fact, in many of our Christian television programs, we often hear the term that, you know, people have given their lives to Jesus. When we see invitations for people to receive salvation in Jesus, whether it's a mass crusade or whether it's just, you know, a small group, it's an outreach or, you know, people go out witnessing. They often talk about, do you want to give your life to Jesus? Are you ready to give your life to Jesus? It sounds wonderful. It sounds great. But today, I'm going to show you how doctrinally it makes a little twitch that has a big effect in a believer's life. Because it leads us to a place where we shouldn't go. It takes us almost away from gospel truth. You know, it's one of those Christianese cliches that I believe is based on good intentions. It's based on something that was said at one time and people liked it and it made sense. And to some degree, it does make sense. But really and truly, it doesn't quite line up with gospel truth. And you'll see what I mean by that. And so while it may seem like a trivial issue, or something insignificant to argue about. We are going to see today how significant it truly is and how important it is for us to understand it or understand that truth correctly. And so, on the surface, giving one's life to Jesus sounds like a wonderful scriptural thing to do. And most people will agree with that. And I'm sure you may even say, yeah, what's so bad about that? You know, some people take pride in the fact that they've given their lives to Jesus. And so, (laughs) I'm here to tell you that, first of all, we don't find that concept in Scripture. Did you hear what I said? If you look at all of Scripture, specifically the New Testament, 
you don't find the term giving your life to Jesus. You don't see any of the apostles who God used to write scripture. You don't see any of them using the term ever that implied that people need to give their lives to Jesus. So that's the first thing that we need to understand and realize there. We don't find it in scripture. And also, <clears throat> traditionally, of course, this term is used to encourage people to receive salvation in Jesus and, more importantly, or as important, to make a personal commitment to surrender their lives to God. And that's a wonderful thing. We want people to surrender their lives to God. I mean, you receive salvation in Jesus, you still have your will, you still have your mind, your emotions, you still have the freedom to choose, which is your will. So we want to influence someone's will to make a commitment and make a choice to surrender their lives to Jesus. And so I think in general, in Christendom, that's what most people mean when they say, give your life to Jesus. In other words, what they're saying is, surrender yourself to Jesus, surrender your life. Surrender your everything. Surrender your thoughts, your will, your actions. Surrender it all to Him. And that's a good thing, right? And I mean, you will often hear people say, well, I've given my life to Jesus. And when someone says that, that's what we're assuming. We're assuming that they're saying that they've surrendered themselves and everything that pertains to them to the Father, to God. Amen. In Jesus' name. And so it's a wonderful thing. But like I said earlier, the challenge with that is, is that it is a little misleading. And I'm going to show you all of it from Scripture in a moment. It is a little misleading. And what it does is it confuses the understanding of gospel truth and what actually happens to someone when they receive salvation in Jesus and beyond. Did you hear what I said? What a little term like that does is it brings a little confusion and it blurs the understanding of what actually happens to someone when they receive salvation in Jesus and their life beyond having received salvation. And so that's what we want to clarify today. So I'm going to begin by making three statements or expressing or reminding us of three specific aspects of salvation. So please listen carefully because this in, in actual fact is the essence and then I'm going to prove it all to, you, all to you with scripture. Okay, So I'm going to mention three aspects of salvation. Tell me if you agree with them and then I'll show you scripture. Okay, So listen carefully. Three specific aspects of salvation. Aspect number one with regards to salvation. Salvation in Jesus that is. Salvation is not about us giving our lives to Jesus, but about Jesus giving His life to us. You agree? Exactly. That's exactly what salvation is. Salvation is not about us giving our lives to Him, but it is rather Him giving His life to us. Right? That's the first aspect that we need to solidify when it comes to understanding that term. Secondly, the second aspect of salvation is, is that Grace is about what God makes available to us and not what we make available to Him. True? Of course it is. Grace is God's unmerited favor. You cannot earn or deserve grace. 
because grace means unmerited. So if you're trying to merit it, then it's not grace anymore. Then it's works. Then it's earning and deserving. So grace is, you cannot earn or deserve it. And we are saved by grace, Scripture tells us. So grace is about what God makes available to us and not about what we make available to Him, such as our life. Correct? All right, so that's the second important aspect we need to remember about salvation. The third important aspect we need to remember about salvation is that salvation is not about us exchanging our lives for His. Did you hear what I said? You know, if someone came to me and said, I really like your bicycle. And I heard you speaking the other day saying that you didn't really like your bicycle that much, that you preferred a bicycle like mine. And I said, well, yeah, that happens to be true. He says, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't we change? Why don't we exchange bicycles? I'll give you mine because you like it more, and I like yours more, so you give me yours. And so we make an exchange, right? That's an exchange. Well, that's the third aspect of the gospel. Salvation is not about us exchanging our lives for His, with Jesus, that is. So we don't come to Him and say, okay, I'll give you my life, and in in exchange, you give me your life. As much as some people have been taught that that's what it is, and I was for a long time, that's the way I understood it, that's not what salvation is. Are you with me? And so we have three different aspects there. Firstly, salvation is not about us giving our lives to Jesus. It is about Him giving His life to us. Secondly, grace is about what God makes available to us, not what we make available to Him. And thirdly, salvation is not about us exchanging our lives for His. It's not an exchange. It's not an exchange. It's a change, but not an exchange. Are you with me? I'm running ahead, a bit ahead of myself here. All right, so having said that, let's look at Scripture that will prove all that because I get those conclusions, those aspects from Scripture. So let's have a look at it and let me show you. You're going to see those three things in almost every portion that we're about to read. You'll see at least one in every one of them, but generally you'll see all three in every one of them. So let's begin by looking at something, a portion that we're very familiar with. John chapter 3, verse 3 to 7. This is Jesus having a conversation with Nicodemus. Remember when Nicodemus came to him by night and said, What must I do to be saved? I'm putting it in my own words. And Jesus gives him an answer. Watch this now. John 3, verse 3 to 7. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again. Notice that term. Born again. You cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water. In other words, that's natural physical birth. You know, when a mother's water bursts before she's, just before she's about to give birth. No one can be born of water, watch this, and the Spirit. So there is natural birth and there is spiritual birth. And Jesus is talking about spiritual birth clearly because that's what he's clarifying for Nicodemus here. Then he says, humans can reproduce only human life. So when we are born, we have human life. We don't create human life. 
we reproduce human life, right? Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth, watches, to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Very powerful things that Jesus points out there. Now, as you have seen, those three different aspects of salvation are all explained by Jesus right there. And so what we see here is because our life in Adam is fallen and sinful, it is of no value to God. Isn't that what Jesus is saying? Adam sinned. He fell. We're all his descendants. He was perfect at one time, but when he sinned, he became imperfect, or as we know, fallen or sinful. We're all the descendants of a fallen, sinful being. So as much as we'd like to think that we're not like him and that we're not sinful, we are. He cannot reproduce something that he's not, right? That's why we all live in this fallen body and we have this propensity to deal with sin. And so <clears throat> what we see from that is, is that because our life in Adam is fallen and sinful, it is of no value to God. And that's what Jesus said, you need to be born again. You need to receive spiritual life. Because the life you have is no good eternally. That's in essence what he said. Right? So we see that there. Secondly, in and of itself, our fallen life in Adam cannot see or enter the kingdom of God, as he said. Why? Because there is no sin in heaven. So the life we have in fallen Adam is of no value to him. And it cannot be in heaven. He says you cannot see heaven, you cannot enter heaven if you want to do it with this life. You need to be born again. In other words, you need to have new life, is what he said. So already there he's explaining and clarifying these truths to us. So if we come to him, and the only life we have before salvation is a fallen sinful life, it's tainted by sin, and we say, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. What you're offering him is a sinful fallen life that is not born again, that cannot enter or see the kingdom of God, what is he going to do with it? He can do nothing with it. He doesn't want it because he doesn't allow sin in heaven. And this is why he says, no, 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 no. I need to give you new life. And that's the way you will see heaven and enter heaven. So what's the point of giving him that life? He can do nothing with it, right? So that's what we see there. So Jesus makes the, those three specific aspects that I mentioned earlier about salvation clear to us right here. Do you see it? Of course he does. All right, let's have a look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Same thing here. Paul writing here as a believer, two other believers, and he says, I am crucified with Christ. So my question is, is if he was crucified and is dead, what is he doing writing this letter? What happened? Well, you know that he's not talking about his natural life, his, his, his spiritual life, that is. He's talking about his natural life, right? So he's not talking about his spiritual life. He's talking about his natural life. So he's talking about his identity or who he was or his life in fallen Adam, right? So he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. So yes, I still live in this fallen body, he says. Yet, not I. In other words, who I was in Adam. In other words, he's referring to life in Adam. But Christ liveth 
in me. In other words, there is a new life in me because the one I had was crucified and was put to death. See that? And the life, there it is, he qualifies it. The life which I now live in the flesh, in other words, in this earthly body, I live by the faith of the Son of God. I know many translations say, in the Son of God. That's another teaching all different together. So sadly, so many modern translations change the word of to in and change doctrine. Because in puts us in the place of control and work and earn and deserve. Whereas it's by the faith of the Son of Jesus, it allows us to rest in what He has done. Amen. He says, but I live by the faith of the Son of God, which is, who loved me and gave Himself for me. Praise God. Powerful things that we see there that the Apostle Paul uh, points out. First of all, he says that at salvation, the life he had in fallen Adam was brought to an end. That's why he says it was crucified. So he could receive new life in Jesus. And that's why he says, it is now he who lives in me and the life I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. In other words, the life he had was put to an end, was put to death, and he received new life in Jesus. Notice, this was a perfect opportunity for him to say, and when I gave my life to Jesus, but he doesn't say that. He says the opposite. He says, he acknowledges here without saying it in so many words. He says, I had no life to give to him because he could do nothing with it. And so it was put to death, and I received new life. Can you see how, if someone says, I gave my life to Jesus, it's another way of doctrinally saying, I am still in fallen Adam. I still acknowledge that I have identity in Adam. And therefore, I have a dual life or a dual nature. And that is not correct. That is not true. You don't have a dual nature. You don't have a dual identity. It's the same thing. You don't have dual life. Yes, you live in this body. It's still you because you have free will. But the internal life that you had is gone in fallen Adam. That's why you have the change when you receive salvation in Jesus. And you know that you're different because God removes that old life and he gives you his life in Jesus, new life. Right? So we see those powerful truths right there. And, it, and he points out there that even though his physical appearance didn't change, because he says it's still me, even though his physical appearance didn't change, spiritually, he knew that he was different and he lets us know that. Praise God. So again, we see those very same truths. So, and once more you see there, no giving of his life to Jesus, no exchange of life <clears throat> with Jesus, just simply receiving the life of God in Jesus. It was put to death and he received new life. Amen. I mean, it, just, it is so powerful to know that who I was in Adam and the life that I had in Adam is done, dealt with, and gone. I have a new identity in Jesus. I have new life in Jesus. Doesn't that give you greater confidence? Now, as sweet as the cliche is, if I were to say, understanding what we've read so far, that I gave my life to Jesus, what am I saying with that? I'm still hanging on to who I was in Adam. I'm still saying that who I was in Adam, I gave to. Why would God want your sinful fallen life? He can do nothing with it. That's why He came to redeem you. This is why 
when we receive salvation in Jesus, we receive His life. Amen? And we live by His life. Do we make mistakes? Sure. Are we still going to stumble here and there? Sure. This is why there is grace and mercy, but it doesn't take away the fact that we have new life in Jesus. We don't have improved life. We don't have refurbished life. We don't have reconditioned life. We have new life in Jesus. But when someone says, I gave my life, what they're saying is, I'm still hanging on to who I was in fallen Adam, the life that I had in Adam. And we don't have that anymore. Amen. I know it's like I said to you, some people think it's a trivial, trivial, insignificant matter. But can you see how it affects your believing, your understanding of your identity and life that you have in God? Amen. Let's have a look at another one. <clears throat> Romans chapter 6 verse 4 from the King James. Now, <clears throat> this is talking about because of what Jesus did to redeem us. Okay, So that's kind of the short version of the context there. And so it says there, therefore, talking about believers. Okay. Therefore, watch this, we are, that's present ongoing tense, present perpetual tense. We are buried with him by baptism. So if Paul is writing this inspired by the Holy Spirit, well, he wasn't buried somewhere, right? What he's doing is he's making a reference to the life that he had in fallen Adam. He says, we are buried with him by baptism into death. So he's acknowledging that the life and identity yet in Adam is gone. Then he says, That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk, watch us now, in newness of life. What is Paul really saying there? He's saying, Who I was in fallen Adam is gone, and now I have a new identity in Jesus. Or let me put it this way, in the context of what he's talking about and what we're talking about today. The life that I had in Adam, fallen Adam, sinful Adam, is buried and gone. And now I have new life in Jesus. So he acknowledges there that he has new life. He acknowledges there that the life he had was gone and done and taken away and that he received new life in Jesus. Again, those three aspects I shared with you all mentioned right there. Amen. God has no value for our, our, our life in, in, in fallen Adam. Amen. That's why He gives us new life. So we can enter heaven, see heaven, and be with Him forevermore and enjoy this life free from the bondage to that sinful life. Amen. Powerful stuff. So once more you see there, no giving of life to Jesus, no exchange of life with Jesus, just simply receiving the life of Jesus. Amen. I know in many ways we are killing a sacred cow here. But can you see how important it is for you to have that sacred cow be dead? Amen. Because you are a new creation. You are born again. You have new life in Jesus. And it's not based on your feelings. It's not based on your mess ups. It's based on gospel truth. You have new life in Jesus. Amen. Praise God. I mean, <clears throat> have you ever had anyone offer to give you something? And, you know, they may phone you or they may text you. And it sounds really good. And they make it sound real good. You know, I have this that I, I don't need it anymore. We want to give it away. And we thought of giving it to you. I've had that happen to me a few times. 
and I hope that I haven't done that to anyone. I'll try not to. But, you know, I've had this person say to me, oh, I've got this thing. It's so great. You'll enjoy it. It's wonderful. And, you know, and I, and I text back and I say, well, how much do you want for it? No, 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 no. I want to give it to you. I want to bless you with it. And I'm thinking, great. It sounds good. So we make arrangements to go pick it up. And then I get there and I get it. And, I mean, this thing is literally so old, so barely functioning. It's probably going to last a day or two. And, you know, <laughs> it's dirty. It's just no good. And you think to yourself, so are you really just using me to get rid of your trash? Or, I don't know, I mean, I don't want to be offensive to anyone. Because sometimes people give you things that are meaningful to them through generations. So they will look like it. So I'm not discrediting that. But the point is, is, is that if someone offered you something like that, you're going to be like, what am I going to do with this? And inevitably, what happens is you end up throwing it away. Maybe, maybe even on your way home. Isn't that so? And so what I'm saying to you is, is that this scenario is the same. If we were to say, I'm giving my life to Jesus, or I gave my life to Jesus, number one, you're claiming that you still have it, that you're still hanging on to it, and even though you take pride, I mean, ask yourself, it's a sinful, fallen life that is, that is of no value and no use to God. What is He going to do with it? And so He lets us know, I'm not going to do anything with it, I don't need it, I don't want it. It's the result of, you know, your ancestors mess up. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to remove it and I'm going to give you new life. It would be like the same person play, replaying the scenario now, calling me and saying, by the way, Pastor, I was praying this morning and the Lord just laid on my heart to buy you a brand new whatever it is. And so can we meet at the store and you can pick out the one you want and I'll pay for it. And it's a blessing, you know, it's not charity, it's just the blessing, it's what I believe God wants to do. And, and I've had that happen. And I say, sure. We get there and they make sure that I pick out the best one and they pay full price. Not that that's, I mean, if you can get a discount, great. But, it's, you know, they pay for it. And you will go home with this brand new thing and you think to yourself, wow, what generosity and what blessing. Thank you, Father. Amen. Well, this is the same kind of scenario here. So we get new life in Jesus. Let's have a look at another one. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5 from the Passion Translation this time. <clears throat> it says, even when we were, notice, past tense. In other words, this is not who you are anymore. Or this is not how you are anymore. Even when we were, watch this, dead and doomed in our many sins. In other words, in the life we had in fallen Adam. He, talking about God, <laughs> united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by His wonderful grace. In other words, God gave you new life in Jesus and He did it outside of your merit or performance. Amen. So the new life you have in Jesus cannot be earned, cannot be deserved. It is simply received. By faith alone, by believing. And God gives it to you by His grace. Why? Because the life we had was no good. Again, you see those three aspects and principles right there. And so because we inherit a fallen and sinful nature from Adam, we are separated from God. And God doesn't want to be separated from us. Amen. And so what does He do? Because of His love and grace, what does He do? He provides salvation and redemption in Jesus for us so that we can have new life 
in Jesus. Amen. And so in Adam, we had a fallen sinful life. In Jesus, we have a perfect, redeemed, pure life. We have the very life of God. So again, there is no giving of our life to Jesus. There is no exchange of our life with His life. It's just simply receiving the life of Jesus. Amen. Isn't that exciting? I mean, praise God for that. Let's have a look at another one. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. From the message translation this time. Now this is talking about us or a believer beyond salvation. Okay? Watch what it says there. Again, talking to believers here. It says, your old life is dead. Okay? We can stop right there. That makes it as clear as anything, right? So the life you had in fallen Adam is dead. So there's nothing to give. He does, God doesn't take anything. He just simply puts it to death and removes it. Your old life is dead. Watch this. Your new life, which is your real life. You see, you may have your thoughts, habits, what happened in the past, trying to remind you and say, see, you're still hanging on to that old life. No, your mind just needs to be renewed. Your heart needs to line up with it. But the gospel truth fact is, is that you have new life in Jesus and that is your real life. Amen. Then it says, even though invisible to spectators is with Christ in God, He is your life. Praise God. So yeah, even though people in the natural cannot see this wonderful change that's happened on the inside of you, where God removed the life you had in Adam and gave you new life in Jesus, but you still look the same, you know that something happened on the inside. And honestly and truly, the one who really needs to see it, sees it. That's why he says it. Right? Praise God for that. So once you receive salvation in Jesus, God no longer sees you in Adam. He sees you in Jesus. Why? Because he removes that life. He put it to death on the cross. So what do you have to give to him? What is it that God wants that is so much more valuable than the life that he has for you in Jesus? Obviously not. Amen. So, I mean, in actual fact, at the end of that verse, it said he is your life. In other words, God sees Jesus as your life, your new life. Praise God for that. So, even though it's not visible, the one who needs to see it, sees it. So once more in that portion, we see there is no giving of our lives to Jesus or to God. There is no exchange of our lives for His life. It is just simply receiving His life, new life. Amen. And I mean, besides all of that, think about this. If salvation was the result of our of us giving our lives to Jesus, then really it means that we are the ones responsible for our own salvation. Isn't that true? Then do we really need Jesus? You see, can you see doctrinally how it just puts our belief system in a different place? It misleads us and blurs gospel truth from us. Because like it or not, that is a fact. If salvation was the result of us giving our lives to Jesus or to God, however you want to phrase it, then all that really means is, is that we are the ones responsible for our salvation because we took the initiative to bring our lives to God. And is that what happened? <laughs> no, of course not. Amen. 
Now, the other thing we need to understand and remind ourselves of is, is that salvation is God's doing, not ours. This is why we cannot pride in the fact that I gave my life to Jesus. In other words, I brought something that He took and did something with. I brought something that exchanged what He had. No, we cannot do that. Salvation is all of God's doing and not ours. John 15 verse 16, the first part of that verse, makes that very clear. You did not choose me, but I chose you. So who did it? God did. Amen. Look at Romans 5 verse 8. But God clearly shows and proves His own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So who did it? God. Right? Praise God for that. Now, another aspect that we need to remember, or another thing we need to remind ourselves about when it comes to salvation, is, is that nothing we do makes salvation any more than what it already is. Amen? Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. Remember I said, nothing we do makes salvation any more than what it already is. It says in verse 8, For by grace... In other words, you cannot earn or deserve it. You have been saved through faith. In other words, through believing. And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Doesn't that clearly say that nothing we do makes salvation any more than what it already is? Because it says we cannot do anything, right? And what another thing that we see there, which is so powerful, is, is that grace makes God the giver and us the receivers. Amen. There's no other way that it'll work. Praise God for that. And so, when you think about salvation, even the decision to receive salvation is God's provision. Isn't that so? You know, sometimes people think, well, you know, they feel like good stuff, you know, hot stuff. I made the decision to receive salvation in Jesus. And it may feel that way, but do you realize that even God provided for you, enabled you, empowered you to make that decision? It is God's doing, all of it. Look at this in Romans 2 verse 4. Proves that. Or do you despise the riches of His goodness? forbearance and long-suffering, watch this, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. In other words, the goodness of God leads us to have a change of mind. So even the very decision for us to receive salvation in Jesus is enacted, influenced and empowered by God's doing, by His provision. Amen. So what really do we have to give to Him at the end of the day? And then, of course, another thing we need to remind ourselves of is, is that God alone is the one who provides and sustains salvation. Cannot be found anywhere else. Cannot be sustained by anyone else. Right? John 3.16 makes that very clear. For God so loved the world that He gave. So He provides it. His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have 
everlasting life. In other words, He sustains it. So He's the one who provides salvation, and He's the one that sustains salvation. Praise God for that. Amen. And look at 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19, the first part of that verse. For God, there it is, God, was in Christ, watch this, reconciling the world to Himself. So who did it? God did it. Who sustains it? God sustains it. No longer counting people's sins against them. There it is. He sustains it. So once more, God alone is the one who provides and sustains salvation. So what are we really th- why do we think we can give Him anything or exchange anything? No, we just simply receive. And then look at 1 John 4 verse 10 from the New Living Translation again. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Doesn't that show us again that God alone is the one who provides and sustains salvation? Because it's not that we loved Him, it's the fact that He loved us. Right? Praise God for that. So, salvation is not about us giving our lives to Jesus or exchanging our lives for His. It is simply about just humbly receiving the life that He makes available to us in and through Jesus. Amen? Praise God for that. And this is why, since I've received this revelation years ago now, you won't ever hear me say, I gave my life to Jesus. You won't hear me say or invite someone to give their lives to Jesus. Because even though I understand it's a way for us to say, commit it all, give it all, submit it all, I understand all that. Let's just use those words instead of putting people on a doctrinal spin that makes them think that they did something to be saved when they didn't. Amen. And you see, when we understand that, we realize and we appreciate the wonderful salvation and the wonderful life that we have in Jesus. Amen. Praise God. We trust that you are blessed by this message. For more information about our ministry or to make a donation to help us continue spreading the gospel, please visit our website at redemptioninjesus.com.